The availability of R&D tax incentives is growing around the world. On today's episode of The Fiona Show, R&D Tax Credit, we're taking a closer look at the R&D tax credit in Australia, a jurisdiction that doubles as one of the most generous, but also among the most aggressive. We're here with Cross-Border Solutions Director of R&D Tax Incentives, Rahim Walji, and Solutions Engineer, Alan Tobin, to discuss. And I'm going to hand things over to Rahim right now. Rahim, you have the floor. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. I have with me today Mr. Alan Tobin, who is a Director of our Solutions Engineering team. Hey, Alan, how are you? I'm good, Rahim. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. I'm excited to talk to you today about the Australian R&D credit. Last time we had a chance to speak about some of the other benefits available, but would love for you to just give a brief introduction again for yourself, for our audience. Sure. My name is Alan Tobin. I've been at Cross Borders since last year. I've been working in the R&D tax credit arena uh, predominantly since 1998, where I spent 16 years at a big four firm and then another six years at a second tier firm. And I'm really thrilled to be here today. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Alan. So let's kind of dive right into the discussion on, on Australia and kind of talk about its history. So it was introduced in 1986, and it's been historically known as a very, very generous, if not the most generous R&D tax credit jurisdiction. Can you give us a, sort of a bit of an overview of where the credit stands today? Sure. You know, prior to 2011, most people will probably remember the old regime as a tax super deduction. And that R&D tax concession allowed companies to claim a, a tax deduction up to 125% on their income tax return of eligible expenditures of R&D activities. Since 2011, there's been a new R&D tax incentive, which is not overly complicated, but it has different tiers. It's jointly administered by the Australian Tax Authority, the ATO, and OS Industry. And for those who don't know or aren't familiar with OS Industry, OS Industry is the Australian government's Specialist business program, it focuses on the Department of Industry, Innovation, Science, Research, and Tertiary Education. So they're, they're very much involved in the Australian R&D tax credit. The generosity of the Australian tax credit is really, it's still increasing today. As of October 6, 2020, the Australian Treasurer announced that they were planning on increasing the refundable tax offset to 46% from July 1st. 2021 moving forward. And that's an increase from where they currently stand at 43.5%, which has really been around since 2011. And that 43.5%, soon to be 46%, is particularly good for small to medium-sized businesses. Larger companies with more than 20 million Australian dollars are able to receive 8.5% more non-refundable tax offsets. So that's an increase as well as of uh, July 2021. Alan, when you look at Australia's emphasis on R&D, they've got a refundable credit, right, which puts cash directly back in pockets. They've got a non-refundable for some of the larger organizations that are conducting R&D. They have this bifurcated system of technical assessment and tax assessment. When you look at all of this, what does this tell you or what, is, what takeaways can you, can you leverage or, or read through this on how R&D is important in Australia and what it really means for that country. You know, the incentives are very lucrative when you compare them to other countries. We, we've talked about that. You, we're both well aware of that, but they've clearly demonstrated, when I say they, I mean the Australian government has clearly demonstrated that they want innovation and technology development to be at the core of their economic growth. They've demonstrated this 
even most recently with the increases in the available credit. And even though you still have the, sort of this tag team monitoring compliance and enforcement system, which is somewhat unique, it's a great time to get involved with Australia. Australia is showing leadership in this area globally. And the R&D tax incentives are clearly at the top of their priority list. Yeah, you know, I think you see a really, really good trend here in terms of how the country is looking at additional investments in R&D and how that position needs to expand in order to to further incentivize those companies to keep investing money, especially in in a time like this. I I would agree 100%. It, It seems as if Australia has it right. They want to keep all of the R&D on their shores. And as we're going to talk about shortly, they're even opening up opportunities for companies that aren't performing R&D in Australia, but have some connection with Australia to claim some of the benefit as well. So to recap, Australia had a 43.5% refundable tax offset for smaller companies, right? Less than 20 million Australian dollars a year. And then it was non-refundable 38.5% for all other companies. The good thing is foreign-owned R&D is eligible and you can't claim more than that 43 and a half or 38 and a half if you exceed 100 million in Australian dollars. So lots of good benefits available. There's some additional items related to that foreign piece that I just mentioned, Alan. Can you tell us a little bit more about the foreign-owned R&D piece? Yeah, this is pretty interesting. So an overseas company with you know, a DTA or a double taxation agreement with Australia can set a permanent establishment in Australia, which is is exciting because it allows them to claim the offsets as well. The overseas company formally contracts related Australian R&D activities, and there's a certain process you have to go through to you know claim these offsets. They apply to Aus Industry, as, as we mentioned earlier. That's one of the two entities that's really monitoring the Australian R&D tax credit. This is where a company presents a case that certain aspects of their R&D have to be conducted outside of Australia. So that's pretty interesting. But this can relate to expert knowledge. So it could be researchers or scientists or the like, specialized equipment, perhaps unique engineering or technical machinery, specific living organisms. That could be mean population groups or clinical trials, quarantine issues, viruses or plant materials, natural habitats, and or geological features. In all these cases, you must get approval from us industry. And what happens once you get the approval, the finding allows the companies to clean the approved overseas activity costs as part of their tax incentive claims. You know, this also applies to Australian intellectual property if being sent to related overseas companies through foreign-owned R&D provisions. So that's, that's a very unique element of the Australian tax credit regime. Absolutely. You don't really see that a lot in other jurisdictions in terms of rewarding the foreign aspect of the R&D piece, you know, usually the countries are looking at the domestic enhancement. They want companies to come there. They want those types of, of businesses to continue the investments within those borders, as opposed to outside those borders. Now, as you mentioned, it is a double tax agreement, right? So you are agreeing to pay the tax on both sides as well. So that is, that is one important point to note. But as you mentioned, you get the benefit of both incentives, right? If you are in a country with two incentives. That's right. And Australia's incentive is, is well worth it. I, I would find it hard to believe that you wouldn't make out uh, under a double taxation agreement if you're claiming the Australia, Australian R&D tax incentives. 
Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. So we've talked about OS industry being sort of the technical arm of the compliance piece of things. And then we've talked about the ATO being more of the tax aspect of it. Both of these organizations have come up with the eligible costs, right? So, you know, in each country, there are certain costs that are eligible. What costs are eligible? And then in terms of the activities that are associated with, what activities are available or how are they defined in Australia? And that's a great question. And it's similar to what we see in North America with the U.S. and Canada. You know, there are really three elements to the types of activities that are eligible. You have your core activities, which we would really consider direct research here in North America. And those are experimental activities whose outcome cannot be known and conducted for purpose of acquiring new knowledge. So, you know, those are really the people that are performing the direct research. Then you have your supporting piece. And, you know, these activities, they may qualify if they're undertaken directly to support the core R&D. So here we can sort of visualize it as the direct support. You know, and what are those eligible expenditures? They're the salaries, the wages. They're the payments made to vendors or contractors, the materials. And this is interesting Eligible overhead expenditures are also eligible, and that differs from the U.S. tax credit, where you're typically not eligible to claim any of those overhead expenses. Alan, we've talked about the expenditures. We've talked about some activities. We've talked about Australia allowing for international R&D to be included. We've talked about overhead being included. There's a lot of, of interesting things going on here. How do companies go about claiming the Australian R&D tax credit? What does that process look like? It's a two-step process. You know, the first step is that you have to register all of your research and development activities through an application with OS industry. And uh, this has to be done within 10 months after the end of the financial year. And the second step is that you have to file an R&D tax incentive schedule using the OS industry-specific registration number, which is assigned to your company. You know, OS industry oversees the eligibility of activities and the eligible expenditures are all claimed through the income tax return, which is processed with ATL. When you look at comparing Australia to the U.S., we've, we've talked about a couple of things that stand out in that comparison. But can you give us sort of the high-level rundown of the key distinctions between the two credits? Sure. You know, in the U.S., we really have two regimes, right? We have the Section 174 expensing which is the tax deduction. We have the Section 41 tax credit. In Australia, they only offer 
what would be the Section 41 equivalent, which would be just the tax credit. Both the U.S. and Australia, they don't really offer a lot of different incentives compared to other leading countries. You know, you don't see any loans. You don't see any cash grants. There's no tax deduction in Australia. There's no other really forms of financial support. So they both have very few incentives. In the United States, another difference is that, you know, the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, assesses all aspects of the claim. They have non-technical agents. These could be engineers. Uh, they could be chemists. They are often opining and forcing against uh, very technical industries, specific verticals. In Australia, the difference is that it's a government agency outside of the taxing authority, the ATO, that's heavily involved here. And that's us industry, as we've been talking about. And, you know, while Australia has very limited incentives, they are hugely substantial. There's a limited choice of those incentives, but they're extraordinarily lucrative compared to the rest of the world. That's very true. Thank you for the overview. Another overlap that exists is both countries have, you know, both the U.S. and Australia have specific regimes related to startups. Can you talk about what Australia does for startup companies? Yes, this is what we call... ESIC, and you know, companies must qualify as an early-stage innovation company or an ESIC you know, immediately after the new shares are issued to their in, any investors. You know, without getting into too much granular detail, to become an ESIC, you have to really meet two criteria. You have to pass what we call the early-stage test, and you have to meet the 100-point innovation test or principal innovation tests. And as I mentioned, I don't want to get too much granular detail, but there are specific tests that have to be met in order to be considered an ESIC. Australia's benefit is quite substantial, as you mentioned, and very generous and helps both small companies and large companies. But the enforcement is done by very, for lack of a better word, aggressive regulatory organizations. What is the tax authority in Australia, the ATO, honing in on right now? And, and how are they looking at R&D tax credits in Australia today? Well, it's kind of interesting because it's not just ATO. You sort of have this tag team approach you know, where Austin industry is expecting and regulating the compliance activities in terms of what qualifies, what meets that technical eligibility, while the Australian tax office or ATO is regulating and conducting compliance activities related to correlating the tax offsets and any other deduction. So there's really this tag team approach. They are focusing quite a bit on contemporaneous documentation because the contemporaneous documentation is required to illustrate when these activities occurred and that they're meeting or aligning with that definition of core or supporting R&D that we mentioned earlier. You know, what types of contemporaneous documentation are out there? I mean, those are things like project briefs, test reports, publications, lab books, even photographs, and obviously any sort of board meeting minutes. And all of this documentation may be subjected to review during the compliance audits or any evaluation that the ATO or us industry has. So you have to substantiate the documentation, not only when the work happened, but that the claimed activities fall within that definition of core or supporting R&D. Why are they doing this? They want to make sure that companies are taking technical risks, not just commercial ones. And this is a key. The concern is that some companies may claim the credit is based on economic risk, but the risk has to be technical in nature, which is very similar to the credits we see here in the U.S. and Canada. Right. It's not just about the money that's being invested and how that's going to impact the business. It's 
how are you pushing the envelope? How are you innovating? How are you improving a product or a process or minimizing waste or, or energy consumption or those types of you know, technical items? Absolutely. How can technology help companies that are claiming and substantiating R&D tax credits in Australia? Well, technology can be key in a couple of ways, right? You know, one, it helps you to centralize your data and keeps information organized. A lot of times, because this is a self-assessment, it's even more imperative. It's clear that the tax lawyer has to have the accurate and substantial information. You know, what happens when you have an aggressive tax authority? Well, that means, you know, you really need to rely on error-free preparation, and that submission is vital, and that's where you rely on technology to make sure that you have that error-free submission. You know, companies required to keep that, keep those contemporaneous records of substantiation. And what technology does, it allows you to centralize this information. So you're, you sort of have a one-stop shop. So if anyone should look at your contemporaneous documentation, they only have to look in one place. Right. Sort of making the process more efficient, allowing it to be easily accessed and maintained long-term as opposed to perhaps your, your more traditional paper records, if you will. Yeah, no doubt about that. In the age of COVID, what R&D initiatives has the Australian government taken to boost recovery? And what areas are they focusing on in terms of R&D? Yeah, that's a great question. Again, I think this is where Australia just absolutely, they, they hit the nail right on the head. The federal government's 2020 and 2021 budget includes an additional $2 billion uh, Australian dollars for additional R&D incentives. You know, we'd mentioned earlier that the actual percentages were I- increasing, not only for small and medium-sized businesses, but for large businesses as well. The treasurer, Josh Friedenberg, during his budget speech actually made this quote, research into development, the adoption of digital technology and affordable and reliable energy will be critical to Australia's future economic prosperity. So that's coming from the top. That is a very powerful statement. And it shows the focus that Australia has on keeping research and development as a major part of their economy. You know, small companies with total annual turnovers of less than uh, 20 million Australian dollars, they're going to be set at 18.5 percentage points above the company's tax rate for the refundable R&D tax offset. And at the Australian $4 million cap on annual cash refunds, that, that cap is going to be eliminated. So again, it's, it's, what's happening here is the government is pivoting. They recognize that COVID was an issue and they're trying to address it through these, each individual or small steps. When you add them all together, it's sort of a big deal. And where you this have. This is really interesting, right? Yeah. Cause, cause they originally were not going to go this direction with the R&D credit. They were actually, there was lots of back and forth between technical industries, particularly the software industry and certain um, industry organizations challenging OS industry and, and the ATO because they were actually going to shrink some of the, the benefits on the R&D credit. So this is, you know, a huge sort of flip and reversal and, and definitely a win for these smaller companies and, and, and other innovation firms in general, right? As you mentioned, large companies get some help too, but, you know, you really see these small and, and, and medium-sized companies getting the assistance they need because that exponential innovation is so largely key in those small and mid-sized tier firms, whereas the large one sort of maintains the status quo, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, th- this is one of those spots where the government got it right. You know, we don't see that a lot, but, you know, there was 
a big issue. COVID was a big issue. And the government could have reacted a bunch of different ways. But what they decided to do for businesses was really the right thing. And their focus has been on uh, increasing R&D tax incentives. And as, re- as we see, come July 1st of 2021, when all of these new laws take effect, it-, it should have a very positive effect on the economy. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, Big Four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp alan most of these incentives you know these r&d incentives are really focused around the innovation piece and and offering incentives to companies to focus on innovation and spend more resources on innovation why in your opinion is this so important from a country's perspective i'd love to get your thoughts on that yeah, well, who doesn't want to be a leader, right, in any industry? But the bottom line is that innovation drives economies. You know, not only are you creating jobs, but you're creating jobs of the highest paying source because you have, you know, many times brilliant people that are behind the initiation of some of this R&D. But then you're creating all of the ancillary jobs that goes along with that. And, you know, it, it, it makes your country right more appealing more attractive for businesses to come to and to set up shop because now they know that you know if they make this investment into R&D they're going to get something back in every dollar that they invest so it's it's a significant growth pattern around the world where you have these countries offering all of these incentives and you know in our particular case today Australia really gets it right the focus on helping the businesses which will hire more employees, right, of a technical, you know, level. It's not just necessarily, a, a, you know, your typical jobs. It's really upskilling the workforce as well, right? So I, I think you you hit the, the nail on the head when it comes to Australia and how they're looking at it. And not everybody hears about Australia, but there's, there's a ton of great tech companies out there, a lot of industrial and mining companies out there. So there's, there's a lot of innovation happening. You may not hear about the technical powerhouse that exists, but ATO, you know, Austin industry, they, they have it bifurcated in terms of they analyze this process and they really have the technical focus and the tax focus, right? It's really interesting to see. It is. And it, and it filters down as well, you know, uh, on top of creating, you know, pieces of the economy through innovation. Well, what happens is that, you know, all the students in school now they're looking to grab some of these high paying jobs. So, you know, 
all of a sudden schools become better and there's investment in universities throughout the country and any country that really has some of these incentives because today's children in the future want to obtain some of these high paying jobs. So they're going to study to become engineers, to become scientists. So, you know, it has this, not only an economic impact, but really an impact on the greater society. Companies are definitely looking at applying for this benefit, especially in a time like COVID and this pandemic environment where this infusion of funds is really, really critical to survival and, and growth through this type of, of hardship. What's your advice to clients who are applying in Australia, you know, maybe for the first time and looking at this? What advice can you give them? Well, you know, the ATO and the loss industry are, are very sophisticated, right? So for new clients, you know, the eligibility and opportunity, it, it, it's there. But you have to make sure that if you do it, if you're going to attempt to claim these credits, that you do it right. So even with that current arrangement between the ATO and the loss industry, the benefits are just too good not to pursue and claim. But you need to make sure that you are ticking off all of the compliance checkboxes. And then how can technology help them? in that process? Yeah, technology is going to be, provide you with a couple of things. It can provide you with the opportunity to centralize all of your information. It's going to provide you with the opportunity to make sure that you were error-free and in compliance with all of those checkboxes that we just mentioned. And it's going to give you the ability to leverage the calculations within technology so that you're really taking that human risk and human error out of there to make sure at the end of the day you're submitting a 100% valid application or substantiated claim to ATO and loss industry. Alan, if you're looking at a company that has locations in both the U.S. and Australia in terms of where they're performing R&D, you know, yeah, there's some overlaps and things like that, but can I just simply take the analysis that was performed at the U.S. level and, and the requirements there and just sort of apply that same level of technical support documents, you know, in the Australian regime? No, and I would say that's even the case for any country that you're going to look at. But specifically here, when we're talking about Australia, where we know that the credit is heavily enforced and that you have to go through that two-step application process, you need to make sure that you are complying with all of the Australian-specific rules. Australia is a leader in the world globally, in my opinion, in R&D tax credits, but they take it very seriously. So, you know, a quick answer to that is no, you cannot just sort of roll forward what you've done here in the U.S. and feel as if you're going to qualify for the Australian credits. I think that you have to specifically tailor and develop your application and your claim based on the criteria that the Australian tax office and the loss industry have established. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, 
Why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai slash rd. That's xbs.ai slash rd. Welcome back, everyone. We want to thank Alan and Rahim for a wonderful discussion, really pulling apart this jurisdiction. And we want to thank them for being with us. We want to thank everyone at home for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's The Fiona Show, R&D Tax Credit, and we'll fill you in on the R&D tax credits in every episode. While you're there, don't forget to check out Cross-Border Solutions suite of tax podcasts. I'm your host, Matthew DeMello. This podcast was edited by Andrew O'Donnell and engineered by Matthew DeMello and Andrew O'Donnell. Christy Clements is our associate producer. Marilyn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer. This podcast qualifies as two one-fifths of a CPE credit. To claim those credits, email the Fiona Show at xbs.ai. We'll catch everyone next time.